those of you who don't regularly go to church, because we all know this isn't really church, in case you didn't look on your calendar this morning, it's Palm Sunday. (laughs) And those songs that we heard were so gentle and so peaceful. And it's interesting to note that most Bible scholars say that Jesus did not ride into the city on a burrow. He rode in on a jackass. And the people laid the palms before him, you know, as he rode in. So we had this lovely scene of the Prince of Peace riding in on the most humble of beasts. He could have ridden in on anything. He could have been carried like a king. And the palms being placed before him so that his entrance would be even more peaceful and more quiet. And that, of course, is how the peace of God enters our heart. Very, very humbly. Very quietly. And all we have to do is lay the palms of peace before it. But those of us who are on a spiritual path often make this process extremely difficult. There's this sort of vague guilt that we're not doing it right. Uh, Sort of looking over our shoulder and uh, sort of monitoring of our feelings. And we're very quick to condemn ourselves if we notice any jealousy or anxiety or fear. (coughs) Very quick to condemn ourselves if we lose our temper, say something sharp to another person. We wake up in the middle of gossiping about one of our friends. We're likely, in the name of humility, which is another word for peace, to carry on and on about this inside of our mind and list all the other things that we have not yet accomplished. Maybe some mild addiction, maybe some great addiction. Maybe some number of personal habits that we somehow think do not fit into truth. And of course, as soon as we do this, as soon as we take up arms against ourselves, we cease laying down the palms. <clears throat> there can be no peaceful entry of the Prince of Peace into our heart. And probably the most difficult concept that there is to learn when beginning a spiritual path is that there isn't anything for us to do in the world. Our ego thinks this is absolutely crazy. Surely there must be something we're supposed to do and we're not doing it right. But it has nothing to do with with behavior or action or personal habits whether the company we're working for is spiritual 
It has to do only with simple enjoyment, like those songs indicated. It has to do only with relaxation and assuming a gentleness toward ourselves and toward everything else. It has to do with nothing but peace, just relaxation and peace. And so the first lesson that we must learn if we're to make this loveliest of all paths that we walk on, the path in which Jesus himself has placed palms before our feet, if this is to be a happy path, an easy path, a peaceful path to the heart of peace, the first thing that we must learn is not to despair. Not to get down on ourselves. Not to beat up on ourselves. Not to second guess our motives. Ask ourselves, well, am I doing this for a completely pure motive? Of course we're not doing it for a completely <laughs> pure motive. And that's all right, because the impurity is added from the ego. And the ego is simply this, this little identity that we've made up, this imaginary playmate that we call ourselves. We've given it a name, and it has certain problems that it owns and cherishes. <laughs> That's where the little irritations are the murderous rages are the little jealousies come from? All we're going to learn is that never was us. We never had to battle that. We don't even have to get rid of it. All we have to do is lose interest in it. Nothing more than that. There's nothing more to staying on a spiritual path than becoming interested in happiness and losing interest in misery. And the only thing that's preventing us from making this a very easy way is we're willing to sacrifice everything except our miseries. So how do we lay down our miseries? Gently. Peace comes gently into the heart. It doesn't come through long analysis of what we've just done uh, these, these rules of, of uh, what we're going to do in the future. It comes from just saying, oh, that was probably a mistake. What I just said, what I just thought, what I just did for the past 10 days, whatever it may be. That was probably a mistake. That's all. Just the simple recognition of, oh, that wasn't the peace of God. That came from my ego. Nothing more than that. It's just to, oh, that I don't want that. Anything more than a simple recognition is ego. It's not humility. It gains us nothing to analyze it, wonder when it began, and so forth. So the peace of God comes into our heart 
gently and very peacefully. What then is the peace of God? Now, as you know, these services are based on A Course in Miracles. And A Course in Miracles is a very lovely statement of truth. In fact, as nearly as possible, A Course in Miracles is an absolutely consistent and pure statement of truth. It is not, however, the only one of its kind. But this service is based on A Course in Miracles. And the theoretical groundwork that it lays is very helpful. But I know that some of you may not be ready to accept the theory that we'll talk about in just a minute. And that's not necessary because I will talk in Course in Miracles concepts about the world and the ego and the body a little bit. And if you do not find the theory acceptable, remember that you will do exactly the same thing if you can just gently laugh at your behavior, gently laugh at this world and its insanity. If you can just see the absurdity of all of this, then you have done everything that I'm talking about and you don't have to worry about whether or not you would state it in this exact way. The peace of God is of God and is God. The peace of God is in your heart. It is a willingness to be gentle. It's a willingness to be happy now instead of waiting one more minute before you be happy. But that peace is of God. It is the coming of God into your heart, into your being, shining away what might be called my and your ego mind, just gently shining it away. There's nothing to do about the peace of God. It's just a loveliness that's there for us. It's an awakening that comes very much like the awakening that happens in the morning when we, we wake from a, from a dream. All of us have had the experience of knowing that we're going to wake up in just a few seconds. We're still dreaming, but we know we're going to wake up. We've all had the experience of realizing that the dream we were dreaming at night was a dream. Now, we didn't go around and organize committees in the dream to get everybody to wake up. <laughs> what we did is we waited gently for the awakening, knowing that it was inevitable. We did nothing in the dream to bring about the awakening. Why? Because we knew that the awakening would not come from the dream. And that's all we do on a spiritual path. We will awaken to happiness and joy and peace. There will be a time 
much sooner than many of us realize in which there will no longer be backbiting and specialness and and sorrow and loneliness the devastation of age and all the things that constitute this world as the ego created but it is important to understand the nature of this world and if you can laugh at it and see its absurdity you've done all you need to do but the truth that has come over and over and over again to this planet is that this world as we see it through our body's eyes was not created by God it is a dream and it isn't a very nice dream and it is necessary to look directly at the world and see that it isn't a very nice dream within our lives that means it's necessary to look directly at our jealousies our hatreds our depressions our lonelinesses not to do anything about them but just to see the nature of them because just in seeing the nature of them we will wake from them nothing more than a calm honest gaze is ever needed to correct anything so what is the thing that causes all the problems it is the belief that somehow we can take this pure madhouse this dream of carnage little and small and somehow perfect it that there's a way to make all this stuff work there is no way to bring peace to the world there is a way to see peace beyond the world and the thing that's confusing is that when we see the peace of god around us then the world itself looks peaceful but what happens is there is this shift in which we now look at the world with honesty once again and we're extremely confused because we thought the world was peaceful and now we're looking at it and we see it's a bloodbath it's a slaughterhouse very simply we allow the light of god to come into our heart and as it comes we realize that it was always there and that we ourselves were the light of god and it's as if our friends become gentle and our job becomes enjoyable but notice the next time that you have a day like that or a moment like that notice that the world itself did not change you're merely seeing the light of god that stood directly behind your friend your employer your child your car and this came into your mind and in that light you loved your car your employer that's all that happened it's as if as you wake from your dream at night just for a moment you sense 
the nice soft bed that you lie in. This loved one who sleeps next to you. That comfort and that simplicity just sort of comes gently into the dream. And you know it will just be a moment before you wake up. And you have a little glimpse as you wake up, now and then and now and then. Just a little glimpse of what it will be like. And so you wait gently and happily because happiness and gentleness is awakening. God is a state of happiness and gentleness and peace that is so vast that there is nothing in this world that can even hint at it. Nothing. But we do have glimpses of it. But we don't have to do anything about the glimpses. We don't have to wonder why it is that we looked up one moment and saw this little bird singing this song. We don't have to make a rule that we're now supposed to look for birds everywhere we go. <laughs> the gentleness entered our heart and we opened our eyes and we saw something. That's all that happened. So the peace of God is the only reality there is. It is the state to which we are awakening. It is the place where we actually are sleeping this very instant. We're sleeping in the arms of God. And the way we wake to gentleness is gently. The way we wake to happiness is happily. And so those of you who are on a spiritual path and you have this sense of, of not doing it right, this, this sort of continuous anxiety that somehow you're not doing it right, just remember that the only thing that you have to do is relax that instant. You don't have to go back and correct something. You don't have to change your job into a more spiritual job. You don't have to carve out large chunks of time in which to meditate. In fact, most of you are not hurting people anymore. You're beyond that. Most of you can actually allow yourself to do whatever you're doing in complete peace. It doesn't matter what you're doing. The few of you who still may see some value in a form of violence or severe addiction, all you have to do is look at that, just look at it gently and calmly, and ask yourself, do you truly want it? Do you want what this has to offer, this violence, this addiction, whatever? Just ask yourself, do you want what it has to offer, gently? The instant you see that you don't want what it has to offer, it will pass out of your life. There's nothing more complicated to it than that. Even though your decision to lay this down may take some form, you may go to Hazelton if you're an alcoholic. You may join AA. You may join Parents Anonymous if you find that you're beating up your child. That's all right. It's okay for it to take some form. It will take some form within this world. 
But the reason that you will lay it down at that particular moment is simply that you realize you don't want it. It's not making you happy. Now once we begin to see that the peace of God is everything that there is, it's everything that we want, it's everything that we need, it's the only thing that we want to preoccupy ourselves with. It's the only direction towards which we journey. Then will come a time in which you will want to show yourself how important the peace of God is to you. Now this doesn't require some regime or reorganization of your life. It doesn't require that you go off to a monastery all that it requires is that you now begin showing yourself that it is important. That it's more important, for example, than diarrhea. So here you are, you're driving in this car, and, and there's just bedlam in the car, and everybody's talking and screaming, and you realize that you've lost your peace. <laughs> lost your peace. How important is your peace? Well, how important would it be if you had diarrhea? What would you do? You would simply stop the car, possibly ask for quiet, or maybe just step outside for a moment, <laughs> walk around a little bit, talk to God, just say some gentle words to your mind. This is not a, 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 a some sort of tricky process. It's just a gentle reminder that we want the peace of God. Now, you... Don't now have to go out of this room and uh, start doing dramatic things like that. I'm not saying that this... But it is very important that we give some outward expression to our deep commitment to these concepts. These very simple concepts of love and peace and gentleness and that every single person on this planet is walking toward the heart of God, whether they realize it or not. That's why one company is not more spiritual than another company. Even Exxon. Everybody in Exxon is walking towards the heart of God. They're all brothers. They're with us on the road. Doesn't matter whether or not they realize it. We didn't realize it most of our lives, but we can look back and see that we walked that direction anyway. Here we are at the dispensable <laughs> So just to show your heart, to show your mind how important this is to you, make it as important as scratching an itch. If your chin itches, do you insist on ideal conditions before you scratch it? Must everything be quiet? <laughs> I bet the number of people in here who have missed this thing about three meals a day, I don't know where that ever started. I bet very few people, unless they were deliberately fasting, have missed three meals a day. Probably very few times in our life that's happened. We just go ahead and have lunch. We just go ahead 
and become peaceful. That's all. But if you see that in some way you're not showing your own mind that this is important to you, just show your mind that it is. There is no more wonderful thing to contemplate than the peace of God. God is all there is. There is within our heart an ancient memory of who we are and where we are. Just as there is at night when we dream, we have this memory, even in a dream, that somehow this isn't real, that we're going to wake to another and far better state. That memory within your heart can be awakened. Gently. Just remember. Remember where you are. Remember who you are. Remember what surrounds you. Gently, happily. There doesn't have to be some sudden jerk in your life in which this is done. You do not have to turn to God in the name of some self-reprimand. You just see, oh, I'm not happy. And you turn to happiness very gently. In the process of doing this, it is important to understand this fact. Everything in this world is designed to take away your peace. Everything in this world. The way it was set up, this dream in which we ask, does attack have some value? Is there more than everything? This is a dream of attack. It's a dream of separation. It's a dream that we're all locked inside these little cages and that we have these interests that don't match anyone else's interests. And that the only thing that we can rely on is our annihilation. <coughs> this is a dream of separation. So notice as you go through the day that your ego can use anything in this world. Even the ideas that we're talking about this morning, A Course in Miracles, lovely music on the radio, bright, sunshiny days, it can use that to take away your peace. This isn't anything to be afraid of. It is something, though, just simply to notice. Oh, it's such a beautiful day. I should not be inside typing. <laughs> this is such a magnificent friend. I should be seeing more of him. That's such a lovely bird song. I should buy a bird and put it in my room. So everything can be used, but there are a few things, of course, that stand out that are used by the ego. It has some favorite things that take away our peace. One of them are arguments with people, disagreements. So we begin by recognizing that the ego is always looking for what is disagreeable. Once again, this is nothing to be afraid of. Just notice that there's a little part of your mind that's scanning everything, like uh, like an ant with little antennas. You know, it's looking around. 
But what's disagreeable? Notice that when your phone rings and you pick up the phone, that your ego will scan the conversation of the other person for what you don't think, for what you do not agree with. Even old friends, this happens. Notice this at parties. Notice this even at movies. In television shows, which were, which we know are purely contrived. Everyone knows that they're contrived. And yet we can get caught up and be very angry at this movie. Why? Because we begin looking at the movie through our ego and asking ourselves, what is it that we don't like about this? And so something that was simply put there purely for our enjoyment becomes something that we rail against in our mind. And it was all manufactured. This We can't even claim any reality to this. This was just a, a little fairy tale or something that was told on the screen. So what do you do when you find yourself in an argument? Because these arguments seem very important at the time. There is deep commitment to being right. Ego is deeply committed to this. So the chances are not good at all that you will take a break from an argument and regain your peace. If you can, if you can say, just a minute as you're getting ready to, to throw the, <laughs> the chair at your spouse or whatever it is. <clears throat> uh, just a minute, I need to take a, a bathroom break. King's X. No, King's. Children say King's X. So. Then do that, of course. That's, that's the simple thing to do. But in most of these situations, we aren't going to do that because we very much believe in the reality of the world. And so this issue seems extremely important to us. Often it has spiritual and moral overtones. <laughs> so what do you do? Well, you wait until the argument's over. Uh, wrap it up as quickly as you can. <laughs> now, that helps. You know, if there's some way to shorten it a little bit, shorten it. Then, you will, then you'll notice that after this argument, this confrontation, Maybe it was only imagined. Maybe someone said something to you and you found within a few minutes you were infuriated <laughs> with what they did, with what they said. We've all had this experience over and over and over again. Someone just does something at a party or something and, and within a few minutes we're just in a rage about it. So the argument doesn't have to be verbal and external. But after it's over, it's as if our nerves are frayed, that they're very raw. It's almost as if our mind <coughs> itself has been shattered. Now, the ego will point this out to us and, and say, we must prepare ourselves. We must put ourselves back together before we can turn to peace. But we can't turn to peace because our nerves are so raw and da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> But we can. We just try. That's all. Just, just a gentle try. Just simply, as best you can, turn your thought to God. Remind yourself of the truth. Relax just a little bit. Tell yourself it's not important. Show your mind it's not important. Just a second or two. Then the argument will come back in your mind. 
Let it come back in your mind. Never fight your ego mind. It is not your mind. That's why you don't have to fight it. So this thing that's having this huge battle within you, you're simply going to realize one day is not you. That's all that's going to happen. You're not going to reform it. It's as if the volume will be turned down and down and down. But you, if you want to, can still hear the soap opera, you know. <laughs> but it'll just fade. That's all that will happen. You will not reform it. There's no point in battling. As a matter of fact, you are at a disadvantage if you battle it on its grounds. You're now on its territory. And the very fact that you are battling it is the very thing it wants. It wants to be noticed. So back your mind goes to the argument. Let it go back the argument. When you feel ready again, try again. Back it goes to the argument. To this offense, this slight, this whatever happened. This stand that this person is taking is... It's going to ruin the world. They've taken this stand on unilateral disarmament or, or something. And this is, this is going to ruin the world. Non-members of the dispensable church. See, we have no members. That's why I say that. <laughs> the world is already ruined. <laughs> They're not going to ruin it. <laughs> Let's take another common situation which our peace seems snatched from us. This is a little more confusing. And that is we have this First of all, it's interesting to note how regulated and stiff are the ego's attempts to have fun. Now, this doesn't mean that we should change these scheduled happy hours. <laughs> but it is interesting that the ego doesn't even know how to have fun. It schedules it, you see, like uh, happened recently. Uh, has some friends on my street. We like to play tennis once a week. And uh, you remember the wins we were having. <clears throat> no, we're going to get out there and play tennis anyway. It was scheduled. <laughs> People were trying to get things out of their eyes and everything else, you see. <clears throat> God's happiness is spontaneous. Ah. Now, Edgar, the higher ego, probably whispered in some body's mind, that means you're supposed to be deliberately spontaneous. <laughs> you're somehow supposed to uh, uh, change your whole personality and become an extrovert, whatever that is. No, it's just the peace of God comes and happiness arises from the peace of God like waves arise from the sea. It cannot be helped. Seek peace and you will be happy. And you'll just find yourself doing something. But the ego, on the other hand, realizing that it's always, the ego does in fact realize that it's miserable. It just thinks it knows a way out of it. That's why all this continues, because there's still one more thing we haven't tried yet. It may work. 
So one of the things that the ego does is schedule happiness. Now, please, don't anyone go home and cancel your bridge game or your uh, meeting with so-and-so at lunch every, whatever it is you do. That's fine, because we can be happy in any situation, and, and one thing in the world is no worse than anything else. So it doesn't matter whether it's scheduled happiness or scheduled misery, which we call our job. <laughs> Just notice that the scheduled happiness is so often not happy. That's all. Just notice it. So here you are, and you've gotten together, and uh, because it is Christmas, uh, we must have a Christmas party because we've had a Christmas party for the last seven years. So everybody agrees that this is the, this is the reason to have one. All right. So you get together for your Christmas party, or your, your outing with the Smiths, or whatever it may be. You seem to have a good time at the party, at dinner, at the movie, wherever. Seem to have a, you seem to have a good time. Now the party's over, and there's this peculiar depression. Everybody's experienced this, this sort of letdown. We can even see it with children after their birthday parties and so forth, this this letdown and the, it comes in the afternoon on Christmas for a child. So, but we experience it too. We got together. We had a good time. Why am I feeling this way? Well, it's very simple because within us all is this deep longing to unite with people, join with them, to have this deep, deep relationship. So satisfying. But ego relationships, we must look at this Ego friendships are based on mutual enjoyment and nothing more. So most of our friendships are simply we have picked out people that we think we can have a good time with, people that we would occasionally seek out time with in order to laugh or to be happy. And that's fine, but it goes no deeper than that on an ego level. That's why when we read some book, and decide that we will confront our friend on some something that's come up, we're very surprised that we don't have that friend anymore. <laughs> no, they're not, they don't go out. They decline all of our invitations to go out. Why? Because the whole friendship is, is, is on such a fragile, little fragile basis. It's just, you know, we're getting together because, you know, we're just going to have a nice time, and you dressed me down, and so, you know, uh, that's, there goes that friend. It's just all there's to it. It's just there's no real foundation there in the friendship. There's nothing to do about this because there is no foundation between friendships within this world. It cannot, they cannot be built. So all the vows of loyalty and everything and all these things in which we, we do things for people so they will owe us. And, and we have this, this sort of, we think this is this glue that keeps our friends loyal to us. It dissolves just like this. Just one word said. And not the friendship's over with. So at a party where we seemed to have had a good time, there was something entirely different that was going on. Once it's noticed, then we can see why there is this letdown. And that is we indeed wanted to unite with our friends because we knew that they were more than just egos. And we did laugh and so forth. But there was this subtle competition that was going on. Notice it. 
There's nothing to do about it. Just notice it. One person tells a joke, another person tells a better joke, or one person uh, brings forth some juicy bit of knowledge, and someone else feels just this little tinge of competition, and they bring forth some juicy thing of knowledge, and so forth. There's this very, even among old friends, there's this little subtle competition that goes on, just slightly, you see. There's the laughter and there's so forth, but there's just this teeniest little edge that's sometimes there, sometimes noticed, it's always there. And so when the party's over, there is this deep realization, may not be conscious, that we failed. We did not unite in love with that phrase. Now, there, once again, there's nothing to do about it nothing to do about it. We don't make rules about what we're going to do the next time because we all went through that uh, in the uh, early 70s. You know, confronting every friend and having deep gut-level discussions and we went, one, up one, one day we had no friends left whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> There's nothing to do but simply to notice it and then see where this depression this letdown is coming from. Now that alone will allow you to unite with your friends in the one way that will be deeply satisfying. And that is not on an ego level, but on a deep level of peace and love. So now you can enter the party and see your debt of gratitude for these wonderful people who've been there for so many years, or that you've just met. You can see how gentle they are. You can, if you wish, silently tell them how much you love them. This doesn't have to become a ritual either, but just speak to them. And you will have a sense of joining with them that will be based on reality, not on some concocted type of uh, encounter or loyalty or dialoguing or whatever it may be. It'll actually happen. You'll actually begin to sense that your spirit and the spirit of this other person are one. And it just will flow over you like a warm bath, like a, like a shower of splendor. Just a realization that you're walking home with this person hand in hand even though the ego thing is so flimsy. Now, another thing that's distressing to people on a spiritual path is that we will have this, this day, this peaceful day, or maybe even several days, And we, we glide through the day just like some sort of wonderful, fragrant, fragrant oil slips past everything. There's this slipping past so effortlessly of all this craziness. And we laugh at the craziness. And we heal relationships that have been a source of pain for so long. And then the next day is the pits. <laughs> right? Or we have this wonderful morning. We feel so close to God in the afternoon. 
It's just awful. <coughs> so what's going on there? What's going on there is simply that the ego takes the peace and tells us what effect it is supposed to have within the world. So it isn't the peace that brings the depression or the rough times or the dark night of the soul. The peace of God doesn't bring that. It is the expectations that we buy into. The ego says, you've had this wonderful, peaceful morning. Therefore, the world should operate in such and such a way as a consequence. This time, all the light should be green. <laughs> See? Uh, you should get with just the right person for lunch. And suddenly uh, that person can't go to lunch. They've got some extra typing or whatever the thing is. And this comes as a jolt because of the expectation that somehow the world was going to function differently because of your moment of peace or your day of peace. The world will not function differently. It will remain exactly the way it is. And the only thing that brings us down is the expectation that somehow we are to be rewarded within the world because of this peace. We will not be rewarded. The only thing that will allow us to have this happiness and this ease is the same thing that allowed us to have it, have it in the first place, which is that we turn to God. We turned to gentleness. We rested our mind on something that was worthy of our attention. And that's what brought it in. And all that's happened is we've shifted our gaze from the light. When you look at the light, you become the light. And the world becomes a place of light. But when you turn from the light back to the world to see if anything's happened, you're looking now at darkness. You're looking at the ego's dark glass and you will see it's dancing skeletons and you'll think that you've done something wrong you haven't done anything wrong you've just turned your gaze into the ego's dark glass and the only thing to do is to simply turn it back to peace nothing more than that so let's look at just a few problems that we manufacture for ourselves. We've talked about these that are sort of built in to life. Parties are built in. The moments of peace seem to choose us rather than us choosing them. That's why it's so confusing as to why the peace comes now, why it leaves now. But along with the spiritual path are a number of little problems that we make for ourselves. I want to just mention a few of these. These are just an example. These are not necessarily the most common ones. Guidance. We're not, we don't have enough guidance. We need more guidance. Mary Jo gets guidance all the time. I only get it maybe once every two or three months. You see. <laughs> This becomes a big battle. What is guidance? We're always receiving guidance. There is not one second in which the Holy Spirit, the voice of peace, is not whispering in our ear. 
If we just begin noticing our thoughts, we will see that God never stops talking to us. This does not have to be in some dissociated state. If it's in a dissociated state, fine. But that isn't any more holy. We think we hear an external voice. It's perfectly all right to hear an external voice, but it isn't a sign of some advancement or something. Nor do we have to envy someone because they hear an external voice. But here's what happens with two people on a spiritual path. Now, two people who are not on a spiritual path um, I run into Bob, and I say, well, hi, Bob. I remember I'm not on the spiritual path. <laughs> <laughs> Bob's not on the spiritual path. I say, Bob, uh, gosh, nice to see you. Uh, I just think about you recently, and uh, why, don't we, why don't we have lunch together? Uh, what would be a good day? Bob says, well, uh, what about Tuesday? Okay, uh, We'll uh, go over to, uh, what's the little restaurant over the center plaza? Uh, the Shed. We'll go over to the Shed. Okay, maybe we can uh, set that little table that looks out the window or something. Great. Okay, see you then. That's They have lunch. They go in, they have lunch, and uh, look around. For some reason, there's not a huge line there, and they, they sit at the table. You know, and they look out the window, and so they had a nice lunch. Two people meet each other. They're on a spiritual path. Now I'm on a spiritual path. I meet Bob. Bob, the strangest thing has been happening. You've been coming into my mind. I feel that we're supposed to have lunch. What are you What is your guidance? <laughs> well, I'm not sure. Let's close our eyes. <laughs> and all the people on the on the plaza beat a very large path around the <laughs> so They're holding hands and closing eyes, you see. <laughs> And the, and the people on the plaza know that any man they're going to turn and start putting stickers on them saying, I love Jesus, on everybody around them. You see, so they walk. Um, Bob, I get Tuesday. What do you get? Well, uh, I got that I was supposed to trust you. Let's put it out there that we're to get the table by the window, Bob. Let's hold this in our thought. So, <clears throat> for several weeks later at parties, you will hear me and Bob telling everyone how our guidance directed us to the table. And sure enough, no one was sitting at the table. And it was such a wonderful lunch, and they hadn't run out of the hamburger, wherever it was, D.C., now, this is one of the problems that we create for ourselves. It isn't necessary for us to use these charged words like, God told me I was supposed to call you. You know, here's the person's on the phone. We don't have to say things like that and uh, form little camps in which we, we, we only associate with people who use the word guidance or things like that. 
It doesn't mean anything. There is no favoritism. We're not being singled out. But our ego wants to think we're being singled out. That God has noticed our ego. You see. That's, that's never happening. Always the problem that comes from a spiritual path has to do with the application of truth to the world. It's just that we notice that we're doing it here and we hadn't noticed that before and we're doing it over here and so forth. That's all that happens. So, for example, the truth is that we need not fear any child of God. That every child of God is trustworthy. And there are many statements in A Course in Miracles to that effect. That is the truth. The application that you might make is I should never lock my doors. I should never look over the check at the restaurant to see if it was added up properly. I should allow this person to come into my house even though I'm not there and uh, they just got out of the penitentiary for the sixth time. <laughs> I, I should trust them. Now this is an issue that we create this is a problem that we manufacture. Why? Because we take a spiritual truth and we somehow think this has got to be imposed on the world and the world's got to look like the truth. It's not going to look like the truth. There's no way to apply it to the world. You do. It, there's nothing wrong with locking your door if you want to lock your door. Lock your door if, it, if it's peaceful. Un, leave it unlocked if it's, if it's peaceful. That's the only criterion. We do whatever it is that, that allows us to have peace. It protects our peace. The truth is that we're all equal in the eyes of God. The truth is that we're all God's joy. That he holds us in his love. And the, that he sees us in his own image and likeness. If you take that truth and you try to apply it to the world, you might end up doing crazy things like trying to appear equal. So maybe maybe you have a lot of money and you think you've got to dress so that you, you look like you don't have a lot of money. Or uh, to bring up one of my favorite subjects, the happy carrot. <clears throat> Is there anyone here who used to work at the happy carrot restaurant? You did ran it afterwards? Oh, well, this is before, see, where <laughs> Now, Gail and I went into the Happy Carrot during its very brief uh, life. We never had been there. Someone recommended. We sat at a table. And the waitress walked up and sat down at the table with us and asked us what kind of day we had had. Did we have any children? And so forth. We did not know what was happening. <laughs> and she saw, we, we answered the questions, but I'm sure she saw the terror on our faces. <laughs> and she said, well, here we believe that everyone is equal and, and that we're all brothers and sisters. And so we all always sit down at the table and we chat first before we take your orders. See, that's an application of a spiritual truth to the world and the fact is it does not make peace, people feel peaceful 
when you act in some funny way like that. <laughs> now, it was well-intentioned. Always the application of truth to the world is well-intentioned. And we can love people because of their intentions. We don't have to back away from someone uh, you know, who's just given away the $6 million they inherited because they want to be equal. We don't have to, you know... Street, uh, treat this person as strange because their intention is pure. We can love them for their intention and that very intention will lead them to a happier way of uniting with that truth than trying to apply it to the world. Not uh, killing anything. Well, of course we don't want to kill anything. No one wants to kill. Of course we want to be harmless. But does that mean that we don't walk on grass because uh, there may be little bugs under the blades of grass? Does that mean we don't take uh, some particular uh, medicine because it may uh, kill this lovely little God-created amoeba that's in our stomach? <laughs> I mean, this thing gets to be absurd where people aren't, aren't uh, wearing uh, certain items of clothing because there may have been something killed that went into it. And where does the killing stop? Does it stop at the plants? Does it stop at the little things the plants let loose of? Uh, you kill those? I mean, you see, what happens whenever you take a spiritual idea and you try to somehow force it into this world and make the world look differently, there will always be confusion and distress. And the fact is we cannot reform this world and need not attempt to. So those of you who haven't yet experienced this, the time will come in which you will you'll just sigh with relief because you'll realize there's nothing you have to do about this world. It's simply going to gently evaporate. That's all that's going to happen. It'll just dissolve into the kingdom of heaven. That's all that's going to happen. And we need not battle anything within it. Not our mind, not our emotions, not our behavior, not our past mistakes, not the possibility of future mistakes. We just let this world be what it is in peace, and we return to the peace of God. That's how we help our brothers and our sisters. 